Uh, Father God, we thank you for this day. We ask that you'd help us uh, to be mindful that you are a God who speaks. Uh, Lord, help us to be your people who listen. Lord, in, in uh, all the um, anxiety and troubles of this life, we want to know how we can comfort our hearts and strengthen our minds. And we pray you'd help us to do this this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, my opening question is this. What was the last thing that you grumbled about? What was the last? Notice, notice I didn't ask, have you ever grumbled? You know, uh, What was the last thing you grumbled about? I don't want you to know. I don't want you to tell me, confess how, how, how recently that was. Maybe it was in the car on the way over here. Um, maybe it was just during this week. Uh, I'm happy to confess that I, I had a really good grumbling session once uh, in a car ride this week. Had nothing to do with any of you, I just assure you. But uh, um, I was conscious at the time that I was grumbling, and I knew I was grumbling. I knew it was the wrong thing to do. Uh, I, I stopped and I, I prayed about it. But what was the last thing that you grumbled about? It would be helpful actually to bring that to mind as we um, go through this passage. Uh, we, as Israel was saved from Egypt, God, God chose them, God called them, God... Uh, showed mercy on them. He um, demonstrated his power and might to, to deliver them. Israel did virtually nothing. They just had to walk. And last week we saw that they walked through the sea on dry land and they celebrated with song in Exodus 15. We're in Exodus 16 now and they're entering the wilderness. If you've ever heard someone say that they're having a wilderness uh, experience, that kind of phrase comes from the, book, the Bible, comes from Exodus and Numbers. Uh, the Israelites travelled through the wilderness for 40 years and we're at the very beginning of that, um, those years. Uh, they've just left um, uh, slavery in Egypt. In fact, we're told that it's only three days since they sang and danced on the eastern side of the Red Sea. They were singing and dancing and now they're standing there uh, grumbling. Uh, and we get to three grumbling episodes. We're only going to focus on one of them. Uh, chapter 16 is all about the manna from heaven and the quail. We're going to focus on that one episode. But either side of the manna ex uh, experience is um, as two other grumbling episodes. It's like a trilogy of grumbling, grumbling and tests. So thank you. There's a little graph I've put up. We're not going to cover all this detail. But over, over the end of chapter 15, all of 16, and the beginning of 17, um, there's a place called Mara, the, pl the, the content in the second is Mana, and the place is Massa. So it's the Mara, Mana, Massa episode, uh, and Israel grumbles, and they quarrel, and uh, God tests them and teaches them, and the lessons they learn along the way ought to be that God heals, God restores, that God saves, that God is glorious and trustworthy, and that God is with them. That's what God wants them to learn in all that grumbling. So we're going to focus, as I said, on, on Exodus 16. And my first point, if we go to the next slide, the first point is that Israel grumbled. Now, hear this. Israel grumbled because they were anxious about the future and forgot about the blessings of the past. Israel grumbled because they were anxious about the future and forgot the blessings of the past. You might even replace that word Israel with, with your name. You know, Simon grumbled because he was anxious about the future and forgot about the blessings of the past. Exodus 16, verse 2. Let me read you two verses. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around uh, pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted.
wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Such extreme statements, isn't it? All of Israel are complaining. Uh, they, they just want to die. Uh, they, they wish they'd died, died um, long ago back in Egypt because there they sat around and ate all the, all the food they wanted. It's such extreme um, statements. Their vision of the future, their forecast is, is death. Uh, because of the current situation, their forecast is death. It's hopeless. They have no food in front of them. Therefore, they conclude that death is ahead of them. And now they believe a lie about what was behind them. They start to imagine the good old days. You've ever heard people talk about the good old days? Well, normally it's a bit of a lie, the good old days. There was good things about them. But we, if, I bet you if we had a time machine, we actually went back and experienced those good old days, we'd remember that they wasn't, it wasn't all uh, song and dance. Anxiety reigns. It's throughout the whole campsite of Israel and they grumble. They've got grumbling bellies, grumbling minds that produce grumbling mouths. Grumbling, I want to suggest, is, is fed from their anxiety. So grumbling, as we heard in the kids, no grumbling any time. It's, it's never the right thing to do. Uh, but what feeds the, that's a demonstration. The, the fact that you're grumbling is a sign that something's going on. What is going on is the anxiety that's inside of us. And the anxiety is fueled by an, by an active distrust in God. Now, I'll just be clear here. I'm not saying that anxiety is a sin. It's not a sin. Anxiety is not a sin. Uh, we're all anxious. It's actually part of our creaturely makeup that, that, we, that we get stressed, we get anxious. But the Bible has a lot to say about what we do with that anxiety. And uh, I, I think the passage here about grumbling is about is a is a antidote to our anxiety. What we should do with the things that bubble up inside us. Uh, God directs us with what to do with His anxiety. The pre- so for Israel, the present reality they had no food, they were hungry. The pre- that triggered something in them, an, an anxious thought. But that anxious thought, rather than getting calmed, it gets boiled up. It get the volume gets turned up inside them, because um, of their their fake news about what they believed about the past, and they'd taken their eyes off the hope of the future. So they're actually, they're actually feeding their minds with fake everything, a, a falsehood about the past and a false vision of the future. And that just turns that present experience I- into a louder volume. It, it, it turns the whole thing up and elevates everything. In fact, we distort the past to fuel our anxiety and we fail to see uh, the trustworthiness of God. What we need for our anxiety is um, evidence, which is evident by a grumbling. You know, if you, if, if you pitch yourself, if you catch yourself grumbling, either out loud or just in your head, think, okay, that's a, that's, a, that's a sign that there's something going on in here. And what's going on in here? How do I fix that? How do I soothe that? What do I do with that anxiety? Well, what we need for our anxiety is to know to know God and to know who he is and to know that God saved and to see the future as God sees it. That's, that's called hope, a real hope. We need to have truth and we need to have a clear vision of the future. So secondly, next slide, uh, Israel, uh, God tested Israel in order to train them to know and to see clearly. So God tests them so that they will know and see clearly. 
Look at verse six, chapter 16, verse 4 and 5. And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what, uh, what they bring in and it's to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Lisa helped us with the, the kids' spot to see what they were, they were to do. Every day, just gather enough for, that, enough for that day. On the sixth day, gather twice as much, and they will see you through on the Sabbath day. Now, God rains down food. They're grumbling, they're hungry, and they're anxious, and God says, look, I'll rain down food for you. That's not the problem. I can give you, I can fill your cupboards till the cows come home. Me giving you stuff is easy, says God. But I want to teach you. I don't want to just give you everything. I want, to, I want to train you. I want to teach you how to be less anxious. Now, the first question you might ask is, does God test us? And the answer is, absolutely, he does. Absolutely. But it's not, he doesn't test us with a, like a pass-fail type of testing. Uh, it's, he tests us in order to train us, in order to help us to grow. He, he leads us into times of trial and suffering so that we will uh, grow in our faith and our understanding. It, think of it like an adult who's standing in the middle of a swimming pool uh, and they're telling a, a young child to swim out to them. The adult doesn't want that child to fail. He doesn't do that to see whether the child will fail, you know, and then just laugh at them. No, it's a, it's a test to see does the child trust them, but also does the child trust themselves to step out into the water. God is uh, training Israel, uh, teaching them to learn and to grow, uh, and not just giving them ritual for obedience. Uh, you might see that, G that God says in that passage that I I'm going to test them to see whether they follow my instructions. But he's not just giving them mindless religion or, or rituals to follow through so that the Sabbath day becomes so elevated and, and, and um, overemphasized. See, religion is doing things repetitive, repetitively without understanding, without much thought behind it. God gives us the Sabbath uh, not as a rule to burden us down, not to, not to drain us, um, or as a ritual that, that we can pass or fail, but as a reminder. It's a, it's a lesson of faith uh, to, to trust God and to remember that God provides. We're created to be workers. God said to Adam and Eve, go out and work. That's what you do. But he also wants us to be uh, to trust him and to grow in our faith. So here's how God taught Israel. Uh, ne next screen, thanks, Stephen. Uh, here's how God taught Israel. He gave them meat so they would know that God saved them. Uh, he gives them meat, right? So in chapter 16, verse 6, verse 6, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. In the evening you will know that the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Verse 8, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening. And verse 13, that evening quail came and covered the camp. Now, not much is mentioned about the quail, but they're given meat in the evening. Most of the contents of chapter 16 is about the manna, and we'll get to that. But before we get to the manna, we've got to stop and think about the, the quail. Uh, God says that in the evening, uh, you will know that, I saved you. You'll know, you'll remember who I am. You'll remember that I'm the God who delivers, the God who redeems. And they were hungry, and God just showered from heaven 
quail. He, he made it rain. Uh, he, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt uh, who saved you. This is about knowing who God is. Um, and what turned up was meat, real solid substance. Uh, and they were to remember that it was God who saved them. This, is, this meat that they've got is real meat. Do you remember that they, they, they believed fake news about the past, the good old days where they sat around the, the, the fires and they ate all the meat they, they wanted? That's fake news. That's a lie. That's not how their, their past was. But now they've got real meat. Do you see that they're feeding their minds with reality, with the truth, not with fake news, not with pretend fantasies of what, what life used to look like? Um, our knowledge of God, our knowledge is actually based on evidence. What we, what our confidence is got in God is based on evidence. Um, our knowing about God is, is entirely from the fact that God showed up in the flesh. Now, like a bit of a pun here, that the quail is, is meaty and God turned up in the flesh. You see, the incarnation uh, is about God real. Uh, without, without him showing up, we have just speculation and hearsay. Without God actually entering this world and participating in our planet, um, showing up, we just then are building our faith on uh, myths and legends and hearsay. Hearsay actually sounds a lot like heresy, doesn't it? It's a coincidence. How, how are we to know that God cares about us? How do we know that God cares about us? Well, surely the greatest indication for us is that he turned up, that he entered this world, uh, and he entered this world and laid down his life for us, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus is God come in the flesh, that people, we, people saw him, they could touch him, they, they ate with him. This is, this is our anchor, friends. This is how we know God. In this real world, with our real problems, with our real anxiety, God really turned up. It's not a, it's not a half-baked solution. This is, this is where we need to anchor our minds. Know that God, Israel was to know that God had saved them. And that's the same for us. We have to know that God has saved us. It's past tense. The hardest thing has already been done by God. To, to come into the, into the world, to lay down his life, to take on our sins for us. That's all past. That's history. And to rise to life again, that is history. And if these are questions for you, if you're just here investigating Christianity, you're still trying to work it all out, can I just um, encourage you to, to check this out? There's a very important thing about our faith is that it is founded on historic data. Uh, it's, not, it's not just what you want to believe. It's, it's what the Bible has presented to us, and it's grounded in real history. And so God gives them meat so that they know that God saves, and we need to fill our minds with what, what we know about God. But then, then he moves to the manna, and so next screen along. God gave Israel this bread to show them his glory. He gives us the bread of life to see that Jesus is our real hope. That's what we're going to land with in this point and uh in verse 6 back in exodus 16 verse 6 we read that in the evening you will know that that uh, the lord saved you and so the quail would come verse 7 says and in the morning you will see the glory of the lord because he has heard your grumbling against him so on top of being filling our minds with knowledge 
we now need to see. We need to have an understanding of God and what he plans for the future. This is about hope. We need to have a vision of our hope, which which is again founded in God. Uh, We need to see, uh, you will see the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is something like his fame, what he's famous for. You know, he is, he's just that good. We're gonna, he, you're going to see that God is trustworthy, that everything that God does is right and true, and that if, you make prom- if he makes promises, he fulfills those promises. You will see that God is dependable. You'll see that God is dependable. And so the instructions are given there to go out every day and to gather up just enough bread on the ground for that one day. If they gathered too much, then it wouldn't last. If they... Uh, but on the sixth day, they are to gather twice as much. And if they didn't do that, they go out on the seventh day and they find that there's no manna that day, no bread on the ground that day because this is the procedure that God has given them so that they will learn to trust him. So God gave, uh, some, some people learnt from trial and error. They didn't quite listen to the instructions or they didn't believe the instructions and they went out and they gathered too much or they didn't give, gather enough on the, on the, on the eve of the Sabbath. And they're trial and error, and, and Moses got it cranky with them, and God said, how long are they going to not believe me for? But do you notice that God doesn't smite them and say, all right, that's it, you've broken the laws, you're out of here. No, he's given them grace and space to learn and to grow, and trial and error helps us to understand things, doesn't it? So God gave them this routine so that they would learn and, and mature. I want you to imagine this. I've got a prop. I want you to imagine you're in Israel, you're, you're, you're going to bed at night, you're the adult in the family, you're responsible for, the, for the, what people eat in your household, and you've gone to bed at night and your jar is completely empty. There's, a, there's only, this is it. Because this jar is empty, there's no food in your household. And so you're going to bed and, and God wants you to, to put your head on a pillow and close your eyes and just rest and be at peace with this. Be at peace with an empty jar. It's, it's, it's quite astounding to know. Now, this is not about um, some, uh, like a, a Buddhist Zen kind of teaching where we need, to, we need to let go of our need to need. No, the need is there. We need the food. This is about, is the faith thing. This is that you're going to go to bed with an empty jar and, t- and, and tomorrow the Lord will provide. It'll be there for you tomorrow. Uh, some people went to bed looking at that jar um, filled with bread, they had they'd gathered they'd gathered more than they needed for that day, and they they went to bed at night, and the jar was full. You can imagine that that night they they felt quite happy and easy to sleep because they've they've got tomorrow all sorted, it's all ready to go. But what happened in the morning? What was disgusting about that story? It was just full of maggots. Now they've got to clean the jar out, you know, and it stinks. That's horrible. Uh, they've le- they've learned that lesson really hard, isn't it? You know, they've gone to bed with a a jar full of food. They need to learn that that's a jar full of empty promises. It's not going to save them. It's not. That's not where their hope is. When they go to bed with an empty jar, they need to see that that jar isn't empty. It's just full of hope. It's full of. It's full of trust in the Lord. This is what God's training them to do, to learn from Him. God was testing them and wanted them to learn. Uh, he saved them and he's glorious and trustworthy. So he saved them from Egypt. Remember that. Just know who God is. And he's trustworthy and, and true. 
So at night, uh, we go to bed, looking at, em at an empty jar, and be at peace, and sleep, and rest. But there was another jar. There was one special jar. I don't know if you, if you paid attention during the readings. There was a jar uh, that was kept for the whole nation of Israel that contained just one portion of manna. Um, it's an omer. You know how much an omer is? It's a tenth of an ether. Yeah. What's an ether, you say? Ten omers, of course. Um, uh, they reckon that, an just, just to scratch that issue, that an, an omer would have been about two kilos or two litres, depending on whether it's dry or wet. Uh, it's a dry measurement, so it's two kilos. All right, enough of that. Uh, there was a jar, there was another jar in Israel, uh, Israel that uh, God said, I want you to put one portion of, of manna in that jar. And that jar, it's not going to turn to maggots in the morning. Uh, or any morning, it's going to stay and be preserved because this is a miracle of God that we're talking about. This is not a prescription for us. Uh, this is a description of what God did to for Israel. But they, God instructed them to put a, a sample of that manna in the jar, and that jar was then going to be put into the Ark of the Covenant alongside the Ten Commandments, which they haven't received yet. There's a bit of a time warp thing happening in the narrative. But when that happens, that's where you're going to put the jar because you're going to be eating this for 40 years. And after the 40 years, when you enter the promised land, I and that manna has stopped, I want you to remember, I want you to remember that jar. That's a memory for you. At night, at the moment, go to bed with an empty jar. But in the future, when you enter the promised land, and I am looking after you, I want you to remember that it is God that you know, and it's the God who provides. It's his glory, his wonder, his, his power that provides, and his goodness. Your, your hope is in the Lord. Uh, he is trustworthy. That's the vision for Israel, to know and to see. And now that's, uh, know that God is the God who saves and see that God is forever praiseworthy. Jesus described himself as the bread from heaven. In that second reading, Jesus said, I am the bread from heaven. Now he is, this is in John chapter 6, he's clearly referring to this Exodus episode. In fact, in John chapter 6, uh, I bet he did a good job of, of giving you some context. There was a feeding of the 5,000 just before. And so this, this miraculous feeding, and now, God, now Jesus says, look, don't expect that all the time. I've come to you. I'm the bread of heaven. But also in John chapter 6, the Pharisees come and they grumble with him. So there's a clear, absolutely uh, undisputed reference from John chapter 6 back to this Exodus episode. Jesus described himself as the bread of life. In John 6, verse 27, Betty read, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So don't fill your jar with empty promises. In verse 35, Jesus went on to say, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, of course, he's not saying that you'll... That I'm going to fill your stomachs all the time. He's saying that what God offers us is eternal satisfaction. Eternal satisfaction in any situation, in all circumstances. When we come to him for eternal life, that, ch that, that changes our perspective of, of the future. And so we have a, an eternal hope in our minds and our hearts. And that then helps us even with our day-to-day -day anxieties. Remember that there are two jars. There is 
as we lay down, as we think about our day or as we go through our day, there are two jars that we look at. There's a jar filled with empty promises. It's filled with our work, our effort, our sweat and tears, only, only to be turned into stinky maggots if we put our hope in that. If that's what we're clinging to, to be the thing that saves us or the, um, the thing that, uh, that gets us through this next pickle. That's, that's stress that's misplaced. Or we can, lay, or we can look at the, the jar, which is Christ, the, the bread of, of heaven, the bread of life, who came in the flesh so that we can know God and what his will is. So we know that everything is going to be wrapped up under Christ. Everything's going to fall into submission to Christ. And he laid down his life for you and for me. He cares that much for you that he would take away your sins, make you restore your relationship with, with God, and we can have eternal life through him. We've, we've seen his glory. You know, we've seen the result in the resurrection. We've seen that, that death can be conquered, that death is defeated. Death no longer has a sting. So all of our worst enemies, our hardest things that we cannot solve, have already been solved for us. What, how much more the little things? that we grapple with, the daily issues. You know, what was the thing that you grumbled about? Remember I asked you at the beginning of the sermon, what, what, what was the last thing you grumbled about? You know, I want to suggest that this grand thinking of knowing God and knowing his future actually boils down all the way to the little things that you grumble about. Uh, we don't merely come to Jesus for access into heaven. We come to Jesus because we know that he is trustworthy and true, that he cares for us, that he knows our worries, he knows our anxieties. Our anxieties aren't sinful. These are the things that, these are, this is our internal alert button that says, hey, something's happening. But we can, we can feed that anxiety and make it worse or we can feed our knowledge of God and our vision of the future and allow our anxiety to be put in its place. You know, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for us we don't follow god because he always keeps our jar full when, we, when you when you follow god your jar is he doesn't just keep on filling it like an endless what's that pack the, the tin tans that never run out you know so that we never have any wor- anything to worry about no god says actually i want you to have a bit of a worry in your life because i want you to be concerned not about the food in your cupboard i want you to be concerned about what you what you do with jesus and, and what is your direction? Are you fighting for the little things that just cause you worry? Or have you got your eyes lifted above, above the little things? And that allows the little things to be little things. We follow God because we know, we know that he saved us. We see clearly his glory for the future. And our anchor is in the resurrection. That Jesus rose from the dead. And he is committed to teach us and to grow us. And to, and to teach us, teach us and grow us, to grow our faith. So what would you like your jar to be filled with? Empty promises or filled with hope? Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for this story that ties us from Exodus all the way to John chapter 6. Lord, helps us to um, put our anxious thoughts into perspective not to consider them as nothing, but to know that you are the solution to everything. Uh, Lord, it's, um, 
for, for many of us, this is only just the beginning. I pray that you'd help us every day of our lives to consider this concept that every little issue that we face can be put in the context of your glory, of, of who you are and your vision for us for the future. And Father, I pray you'd help us to treat our trials, our sufferings, our empty jars, um, not as a sign that you don't love us, but that you want us to, lo- to trust you. We want, you want us to grow in our faith and our understanding. And so we pray, Lord, you'd please help us. We're probably more inclined to gather more than we need each day and to not be mindful of the rest that you want us to have. And so I pray that you'd be kind to us as we make mistakes. Be merciful. And we ask, Lord, that you would uh, continue the work in us so that we would be more and more like Jesus every day. We ask for your help in Jesus' name and through your spirit. Amen.